0: Welcome to the U.S. Glass Magazine glass and metal industry podcast. Real people, real conversations, real results. This podcast is sponsored by Western Window Systems. And now here is your host, Deb Levy, publisher of U.S. Glass Magazine.
1: Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to the U.S. Glass Magazine podcast on leadership sponsored by Western Window Systems. Since our first one, I've had a couple of questions about why and how we decided to put a podcast together that focused on leadership. And and I just want to take a second and tell you where uh, this, where the impetus, the idea for this came from. I've been fortunate enough over the years to interview a lot of different leaders in our industry, and I've never come away from an interview without learning something, and usually a lot of things. And one of the things that I've learned from those leaders over the years is that they are constantly challenging themselves as leaders. I've always seen that people that grow in this industry are focused on leadership. You'll often uh, talk to people who read leadership books, a lot of leadership books, and listen to podcasts extensively and actually work very hard to better themselves and the skills that they use to lead others. So even though there are a lot of different podcasts out there that focus on this topic, There's really been nothing for the leaders and about the leaders in the glass and metal industry. And that's why we decided to bring to you some of these leaders that I have been fortunate enough to learn from over the years. And our guest today is someone who's relatively new to the glass and metal industry, but is in a strong leadership role and has joined us. And that is Liz Haggerty, the president of Old Castle Building Envelope. Liz, thank you for being here.
0: Oh, you're most welcome. Glad to be here.
1: We're thrilled to have you. And I know that you're wel- relatively new to the industry, uh, having been president for a little over six months, right?
0: Yes, I uh, I actually joined um, Old Castle Building Envelope in, uh, in January of 2020, uh, leading the Glass and metal division and, uh, and took over in January of 21, um, leading uh, the overall OBE business.
1: So, you've been with Oldcastle for about a year and a half and then have served as president for the last six or seven months, and it's great to have you. I'm, I'm curious, I'm just going to start off right away with a, a question uh, about what has been the most surprising thing that you've learned in the last year or so uh, in your new role.
0: Well, um, it was an interesting time to dra- join a brand new organization and a brand new industry um, and have, uh, you know, two and a half months in, have uh, COVID happen and uh, and try to figure out how, how to lead an organization from a, a remote structure. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that I think that, and I'm not sure it's surprising as much as maybe um, uh, nice is that, you know, this is a great industry Um, It's an industry full of a a ton of dedicated people, um, a ton of folks that are are lifelong, um, you know, in this industry. And uh, but the one thing I guess that was nice for me is that it's also a very accepting industry of people from outside the industry. So I got a very warm welcome from not only the folks in, in OBE, um, you know coming into the role I did in, when I took over AGM, and and then you know most recently the role of taking over all of but in that short window when I wasn't stuck behind a, a computer, um, I had opportunity to go out and visit others in the industry and the the welcomeness, um, the willing to embrace people who can bring you know other views and ideas to help us take our industry forward um, was very refreshing because I know a lot of times, in industries like this, they can be a little insular and kind of. If you don't, you know, you didn't grow up in this industry, then you won't be successful in this industry. And, and I have not found that at all. Um, and so that's been very refreshing and very rewarding and um, and very encouraging for me.
1: It is rather paradoxical when you think about it, because as you said, it is in many ways a familiar generational industry, and it's one that you know. The old saying is, once once you come into it, you don't you don't leave. Uh, but to be that open to new ideas and new people uh, is really kind of a nice characteristic. I'm glad you got to see that.
0: Yes, because I would tell you my my old industry, I came from the HVAC industry, very much the same way, very generational, um, and uh, you know I found it times hard for folks to break into from outside. So it was uh, it was very nice to see that people were very welcoming and very willing to teach me. Uh, teach me everything I wanted to know about glass and aluminum framing structures and hardware and and um, how glazing works and and so forth. So um, so that was really mu- very much appreciated.
1: That's a good point that you you just brought up, and I did have that on my list of questions for you for today. So I'm going to run right to it. In that you did come from the HVAC industry and you've had a really very illustrious career there before coming to OBE. I'm curious of about the similarities and the differences that you've seen between the two?
0: So, as I mentioned, I think, you know, long tenured history of people who've lived their life in the industry, very proud industry, um, you know, very similar from a go-to-market perspective. Um, you know, in, in this industry, we sell to lasers, we influence architects, consulting engineers, in the HVAC industry, you sell to HVAC contractors. You have consulting engineers, especially on engineered product, um, and architects are more more building building developers probably more than the architect uh, when you get into the MEP side of the of a building. Um, but very similar in in that regards. Um, you know, I think a couple differences. Um, we're much more of a build to um, order business. So every building is unique. It has unique needs from both an aluminum framing system to uh, in the glass needs. Um, you know we are we are taking an architect's design and vision and bringing it to life. Um, in the HVAC world, is much more of a. It's a combination of both a build-to-stock um, and a build-to-order business, depending on the size and type of the building. Um, it's a little different there. Mm-hmm. So there's much more of that artistic component of understanding how to work with architects and what they're looking for um, that you don't necessarily see. Most times in HVAC, they don't want to see the air conditioning unit, right? right so right. it's a little different. Um, and then I think the the, the go-to-market model in HVAC is, tends to be much more through either distributors or rep firms. So it's a two-step, that that part of it's a two-step distribution type of a business where this is a much more of a direct model for the most part um but but a lot of you know I found that I could really relate on the on the front end of you know understanding your customer your your ultimate you know contract is doing the install what are they looking for what do they need um you know service levels um integration from a support and technology perspective all of that is very much similar to the HVAC industry so it was very easy i felt like to you know, transfer my skill sets and my knowledge and so forth, and and um, be able to add value um, pretty quickly off the ground. And and then I had to learn the products, obviously. Sure. Um, those are obviously quite different. Um, and you know, quite honestly, manufacturing um, a lot of things you do in manufacturing, flow and material management and so forth. It's a different thing you're making. Like folks in manufacturing probably would hate me for saying that, but <laughs> um, but a lot of the principles are the same, right? So lean principles and all of that, um, you can really apply anywhere. So that part was also, I think, something where I could come in and, uh, and add v- value pretty quickly.
1: Sure. That makes sense. I've heard that a number of times where people say, you know, you'll say this is a different industry, but in the end, we're all still making something, you know? So I, I have a quick question for you on the kind of HVAC relationship with the glass industry, because, uh, as I'm sure you are you are aware, um, there are a number of codes that come out of the uh, heating, air conditioning, and ventilation industry that affect glass greatly. One of the most challenging one that we face was an ASHRAE one uh, called 90.1P that came about a number of years ago that, you know, attempts to balance the the energy needs of a building by using, in addition to HVAC systems, using the amount of glass in, on the the building's facade, and I, I'm just curious if you faced a similar situation on the other side. You know, uh, where the HVAC industry was concerned about limitations to it from other industries.
0: Yeah, so it is quite interesting where all these things somewhere interconnect. So I was very involved in the HVAC industry on. Um, you know, advocacy groups around having a voice for the industry in the building codes and, um, and obviously uh, energy efficiency refrigeration um, uh, types and, and how that's changed in terms of global warming potential and all the requirements that are coming from that um, very much impact the product design um, and longevity of the, the products um, within the HVAC industry. So I was very familiar with it from that regard. And um, and I think you know, you're you're you would have in the HVAC industry. We need to have a minimum level of efficiency, or we need to have you know uh, this type of refrigerant, or so forth. Now you're starting to see buildings where it's it's more of a I need net zero, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure you know that they really care how you get there. It's the ultimate end result that's being looked for, and so I do think there's actually an interesting opportunity. For all of the, uh, you know, the energy consumption um, in the building, as well as those, you know, like glass that that inf- influence the building's um, energy needs, to come together and think about how do you solve for a total building solution. Um, so you think about lighting, HVAC, your exterior facade products, and so forth. Um, as we kind of see this journey on sustainability and getting to net zero um, energy buildings, so. I think before it was a little bit more myoptic in terms of each industry was looking at their own view, Mm -hmm. Um, even though, to your point, I think some of the things that happened in in energy codes or codes around HVAC started to influence, um, you know, the building, the exterior building materials. Um, But I think now we've all got to figure out how to solve for this together. And I think that's true across the whole value chain right architects are thinking about sustainability now and what it means in terms of how they design their buildings you know us as as manufacturers have to think about that and we have to think about how that all ties together into all the other pieces that play in the you know in the in the total building um environment
1: right and then the other thing that's really kind of encouraging is the fact that uh, areas such as daylighting have now been recognized as having value, where for years that was that was almost a discussion point um, and needed to be proved.
0: Yes, very much so, and I think you've got you know new coatings and so forth, and more focus on thermal efficiency. Um, is there a way for us to still get the daylighting? You know, there's a lot of energy around photovoltaic, and how do you capture some of that? Um, you know, that sun. Energy and be able to put it back into the building, and I I think I think technology over the next couple of years is everybody is on a sustainability journey is going to be quite interesting in terms of where this all heads because there is definitely an appreciation for daylighting and and I think it's I think I don't think that that's going to go the other back back the other direction right I don't I don't see us ever getting to a place where we're going to live in a concrete you know block so. We gotta figure out how we get to the to the solutions we need to um, as a collective industry and and I think as a collective as we think about you know collective buildings in general, right, in terms of all the different aspects of them.
1: Sure. And and you know that kind of dovetails nicely with what I hear a number of architects say. And I know that OBE is very, very uh involved with the architectural community, right, from the the starting points, but you hear a lot of architects say, "Hey, we're ready to go. You know, we love glass, uh, but you guys aren't as far along in developing the energy-efficient products or the products can, that can do some of the bends and the other technological things that we need." Uh, do you see that from a, you know, from a C-suite level as a, as a frustration or an opportunity? A little of both.
0: Um, I think it's probably a little of both. I mean, I think, you know, we obviously are very involved in the AIA. Uh, We do a lot of work, obviously, from an engineering and a sales organization of connecting with architects to understand what they need, uh, what journey they're on, what they're trying to do in terms of their building design. And and I think it's, you know, we have to work with them to understand those needs and the direction. And then it goes all the way back to the float manufacturers as well. Right. So myself as a glass fabricator, I know, um, you know, I have the options of the float suppliers that I buy from and the coatings and the different thermal efficiencies of the of the different um, offerings that they have and then how that then gets fabricated into uh, um, you know, an IG unit or, or um, you know, the facade of the building. And I think there is a real opportunity for us to think collectively um, across more pieces of the value chain of how maybe we do development um, more concurrently or more focused on what is actually the end need um, that's there. So I think I think there's going you're going to see more focus and and I'll keep going back to this whole sustainability conversation. Um, We can't do this in individual silos in the value chain. We have to figure out a way to do it together and work together to get to the right solution. And so I'm hopeful that that's where you're going to start to see the direction go is, um, you know, a a float supplier needs the fabricator, the fabricator needs the float supplier to provide the materials. The architect has the, you know, the design and the needs and what they're trying to achieve in their own objectives and how do we figure out how do we fit that all together um, so that we can provide the right solutions. So I'm hopeful that you'll see the, the value chain evolve to be much more connected and maybe less fragmented in terms of how we think about solving these problems.
1: That's an interesting point because, you know, having been around for a good number of years, I would say that it is a lot better than it was. It's not quite as fragmented as it had been. But we're still not to the point where of yeah. the connectivity that that you're talking about achieving.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It's 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 a process. It's um, you know, I, I think uh, we have to figure out how we get to collective end goals. Everybody wants to kind of protect their own IP and, and manage their own destiny, but we really do need each other in order for us to get to. To the right solution, um, you know, not only for, you know, what the the ultimate end user wants, but I mean, quite honestly, I think we all have a responsibility about what we're doing um, and playing our part to, you know, address climate change mm-hmm. and, and so forth. So I, I think that's going to be one of the big catalysts that's going to drive it.
1: Sure, that makes sense. And I know that OBE has worked on a number of new products that address some of these issues and are focused on that. Do you want to just take a minute or two and and share some of your your newer items with us?
0: Yeah, so there's been a ton of focus on um, both, um, you know, thermal thermal, um, properties in terms of our product offering, um, as well as um, climate resilience. Um, so, um, you know, as we've gone through and, and launched uh, recently, um, some products both on the glass and in the aluminum framing side of the business, uh, we've been really focused on um, those two characteristics in terms of the, um, the product portfolio. Um, I don't have any specific ones that I want to necessarily call out today, but um, I think that is the, you know, also where we're spending the engineering and the innovation time. Um, is to have a better portfolio for us to play in that in that um, that drive to get to net zero energy buildings.
1: Well, I think it's nice for people to understand that there are goals beyond, you know, uh, beyond a specific product that they have broader goals as well. So I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, you know, I would say we launched a sustainability committee in our organization. It's cross business unit and cross functional. Um, they're working on a couple key areas around sustainability for us. So. You know we think about both embodied carbon as well as operational carbon. So mm-hmm. for us, uh, you know obviously our environmental product declarations and the work we're doing on life cycle analysis, um, obviously very important. and you're seeing more energy around that on the architect side, right? as they're starting to work on their their uh, building designs. Mm-hmm. Um, ton of ton of work on the product side. Um, as well as I mentioned, right? So thermal thermal um, properties of our products, um, climate resilient properties of our products. Big focus on recycling and the circular economy. So there's a big energy around recycled content in aluminum. How do we recycle? You know, post um, um, construction or uh, fabrication uh, for both aluminum and glass. Um, We've also been very focused on our operational carbon, so how do we, um, you know, better manage our own um, operating needs from an energy utilization, um, our fleet, uh, our, you know, water, all of that. So it has really raised the bar, I would say, probably in the last, especially the last six to nine months about us really understanding what our ambition is in this area and what we need to be doing to be a better, um, you know, global earth citizen um, to do our part.
1: You know, it's interesting to me because you've just given me a number of ideas for stories that we need to cover from from that discussion, you know, and things that are, are, are coming that people are not even aware of yet. And, and how incredibly important that connectivity is there, too, as well. So that, that's pretty, pretty neat. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back after this message from our sponsor, Western Window Systems. Hi there. I'm Brian, and I'm a window nerd. And like everyone at Western Window Systems, I'm hooked on high-performance doors and windows that can help you build better. Got questions about configurations for a new construction project? Fire away. Curious about factory-glazed options for a multi-family job? How much time you got? And our industry-leading sizes? <laughs> Don't get me started. I'm Brian, and I'm a window nerd for Western Window Systems. Contact us about your
0: next project at www.scommercial.com. Fellow nerds, welcome.
1: Liz, do you mind if I turn the subject a little bit to you uh, for a second? Because I know that you have a really unique background. Your degree is is in uh, chemical in metallurgical engineering. I don't even think I said it correctly. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, metallurgical.
1: Thank you, yep. <laughs> and I, I'm guessing uh, that you were in the STEM field just when it was starting to become fashionable, maybe it wasn't even fashionable yet for, for young women to, to grow in that field. Can you take us through a little bit of your trajectory there?
0: Sure, you're kind of aging me now because yes, when I was in engineering school, it was about one to four. Oh, okay. Um and and metallurgy is not a common field I think you saw women going into. Um uh, most of them were either become electrical or maybe mechanical engineers. Um mm-hmm. I, kind, I kind of fell into the field of metallurgy. It's kind of a, a longer story. Um, but yeah, I mean I I've always been, um, you know, I think intellectually curious about how things work, how to take things apart, put things back together. Um, I think it the detriment, my mother uh, used to get frustrated with me because I would take things apart and figure out <laughs> how to put them back together. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and, uh, and my, and my father's, so just to give you a perspective of why my mother would be frustrated, my father was in the Navy, so he was gone about six months of the year growing up as a kid, being deployed um and i would start taking things apart my mother was like if they don't go back together then we are in trouble because we're gonna have to go buy whatever it is new because i you know she wasn't going to be the one to do it so so i kind of i think just naturally fell in into engineering um and i think I'm a, i've always been a, a problem solver and i think that's the piece that engineer engineering fed for me from a, um you know uh keeping my mind active and so forth so Critical thinking, very pro I'm very process-oriented, um, which, you know, I don't do a lot of what I call engineering work today, obviously in my job, but it has definitely formed the way I think mm-hmm. um, and and how I, I look at problems. Um, and I'm, you know, very I grew up through the operations side of, you know, even when I was in the HVAC industry, I came in through engineering into operations and then found my way into more of a general management and leadership capacity. Um, And so I think I've always had this sense of, you know, as I've moved into roles where I have to create more strategy and thinking longer term, I also have a sense of what it means to go execute and how do you take strategy and put it into action. And I think um, that is the one um, piece that I, for me, having an engineering Brain, um, I think, it gives me the appreciation of understanding. You can come up with great ideas and great strategies, and then you you can't just hand it over the wall to people who have to go execute without helping them figure out how to go make things happen. So
1: that that is a really important quality of leadership, right there, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I'm going to take a second and make you feel less old because one of my majors <laughs> was math, and yeah. when I came through, the ratio was one to everybody else. So big difference. Yeah. There. <laughs>
0: Yeah. My roommate in college was a math major, but I definitely, I definitely see the difference, you know, and um, it, you know, for me is being a, you know, a female in a very male dominated industry. um, One of my, I would say big tenants and purposes of, as, uh, as a leader is to bring more women up through the organization Mm -hmm. to make it, make it a place where women can bring their authentic self to work. Um, I recently uh, did a, uh, a, a, during uh, Women's uh, History Month, uh, did a, a similar type of a not really a podcast, but a, a sit down, a fireside chat with um, with the people in our organization. Had asked if I would talk about my career um, and uh-huh, you know, nice. kind of w- what I, what I've seen, you know, over my mm, over thirty year career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very different, right? I mean, when I got out of engineering school, I felt like I had you know my first job. I had to blend in. I had to um, you know, not, you know, not be who I really am, right? Mm-hmm. Wear, you know, right. wear black, wear black or brown, no yep. color, mm-hmm. no painted fingernails. And, you know, you people, I think, kind of laugh now and they think, oh, that couldn't be possible that that's the way it was, but it was. And I felt like in order to be taken seriously, I had to blend in and not stand out. And so um, I don't behave that way now. I mm-hmm. wear whatever color I want, mm-hmm. but I it's nice to be able to see you know young women coming into the industry now who they don't know any different right they don't know that you know they don't feel like they ever had to do that and we still have a long way to go but i think we've made tremendous amount of strides and i think the work that has been focused on inclusivity and um you know connections and networks and you know ergs and all the things that allow Um, you know, diverse employees, folks that have, you know, whether it be gender diversity, ethnic diversity, whatever it is, have a connection and a feeling that they can, you know, have people they can um, talk to and rely on, but also feel like they can bring their authentic selves to work. I think it's just, it's just tremendous. And you get just so much more richness in your organization when you get all of those folks who've, you know, they just have had, Mm -hmm. you know, different experiences and being able to bring them to work, it makes us better.
1: Very true. And, you know, it's funny that 30 year perspective gives you a whole different framework to work from. You know, I I remember my mother saying, you know, in her day, just girls didn't go to college, period. They just didn't do that. And when I was a kid, a very young kid, but people still had help wanted male and help wanted female. And the younger people coming up today, they don't they don't have that in as a frame of reference at all, which is probably a good thing to your point. But it's a whole different reality that was there.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Pretty neat. I just have two more questions before we let you go, if that's okay. And one of them is, uh, who are some of your heroes of leadership? Who are some of the people that you have considered good leaders in your life?
0: You know, it's an interesting question because um, what I always tell people is, as I've grown up through my career, I have taken um, good things from leaders that I work for, and I've also seen bad things from Folks, I've worked for that I've always said, and developed my own perspective of um, you know what not to do. Um, I would tell you probably one person that um, you know people ask me who my hero was or who so forth. It was my father. Um, He was uh, somebody that never met a stranger, Uh, Um, mm -hmm. and so just always very people oriented, very connected um, and always could have a conversation with somebody about something. And for me, it was about how do you connect with people? Um, And I, you know, I have found that to be something for me that is, um, I think, very important as I've built and developed my leadership style. So I kind of think about two things. I mean, one is, you know, leaders that show humility. Right, we Mm -hmm. all don't know it all. We don't have to be the smartest person in the room. We're there to help and guide and structure. Uh, So, I had a a leader very early on in my career that um, really was a sponsor for me, opened doors for me, gave me opportunities. Um, And so, I try to emulate that in my leadership style in terms of. being able to develop the people underneath me, because I think that really is uh, ultimately as a leader, what I would view as being successful is that I've developed and helped people on their own career paths. Right. And then I, I think the other, I would say in terms of leaders that I've looked to um, as well is what I call humanity. Um, I think that, you know, even as you move up in the organization, you can't lose, lose your focus on humanity and just be a good person you can have hard conversations, you can push, you can drive an organization, but you can do it with a, um, with a, a sense of humanity and understanding everybody really, I, I truly believe everybody comes to work every day wanting to do their best. And you have to give people credit for that and help them along the way. And so I would say those humility and humanity are the two things that I've taken, both observations of people outside, people I've worked for, as well as good good leaders that i've worked for things that i've always tried to embed in my own leadership style
1: well those are that's really good advice um along that backdrop then how are you going to judge your your own success what what measures are you going to use to judge if you've been successful
0: yeah so i have two measures that i use even as i look back on my career one is did I leave the business I was in in a better place than I got it when I moved into the job? So whatever that job is, did I leave it in a better place than than when I came in? But the more important part to me is the success of the people. You know, did I develop a team? Did I give people the skill sets to have a path for them to develop themselves? So I always look back at the people who've worked in my organizations and I go look to see where they are today. And if I see folks that have had their own, career. And it's, you know, even if I've done a little bit to help them develop, um, and grow, then for me, that's success.
1: That's great. Thank you. And thank you for being here today and being po- part of the podcast. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I hope you let, let me ask you back to tell us that story about how you got into metallurgy and, and, uh, all those good things as well. So Liz, thank you.
0: Absolutely. Deb, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Thanks again to you, Liz, and thanks to everyone at Old Castle Building Envelope who made this possible. And thanks also to our sponsor of this leadership series, Western Window Systems. Take care.